I am blessed to have two wonderful mothers in my life. I grew up with an incredible mother that pointed me toward Jesus, um, that kind of kept me between the ditches for the most part, uh, that loved me incredibly and continues to love and guide and teach me. I also get to live with an incredible mother. Happy Mother's Day, baby. I love you. Um, And I get to watch her as she does the same for our kids. I get to learn from her. I get to be inspired by her. Many of you come today celebrating motherhood, celebrating your mothers. Happy Mother's Day to you all. I also recognize that many of us have a complicated relationship with this day. Mother's Day is not a day of celebration, it's a day of mourning. There are many reasons for that. Um, There's the desperate desire to be a mother that has not yet come to fruition. There's the absence of a mother in your own life, the loss of a mother, the severed or broken relationship with a mother, all of which are exacerbated as you watch the world celebrate around you. We see you. We love you. You are not alone. This morning, on Mother's Day, we celebrate with those that celebrate. We mourn with those that mourn. As we begin, would you pray with me? Lord, this day that arrives every year is a wonderful opportunity to celebrate the incredible women you have put in our lives. The mothers we have, the mothers we love, the mothers that we know, the mothers we learn from and are inspired by their strength, their faithfulness, and their amazing love. At the same time, This day is often a reminder of what we might not have in our lives. May this community be a salve when we hurt. We celebrate with those that celebrate. We mourn with those that mourn. We ask in it all that your presence is felt, that you are glorified. We pray these things in your name. Amen. My daughter, 14-year-old, 8th grade Ruby Love, is an avid reader. So avid, in fact, that oftentimes she will have like a physical, actual, real paper book that she's reading, and at the same time she'll have an audio book Um, on her headphones that she's listening to so she can get two things at once. Sometimes 
she, like many of us that are like scrolling through Amazon or book lists online, or like me actually walking through real um, aisles at a real bookstore, she is overwhelmed by the options of things she has to read. It's difficult to make a choice. So she'll come to me and say, Dad, I'm, I'm looking for a new book. Do you have any recommendations? She did that this week. We're going into summer. School's been hard. I, I'm looking for just, just an easy summer read, you know, something I don't have to think too hard about, something, um, you know, fantasy-based. And I'm like, I, I got it. I've got the exact book for you. When I was your age, when I was in middle school, I read through this trilogy of books, and I loved it. It was, it was incredible. It's, it's, you know, dragons and knights and elves and all those fun things. And I've seen it recently. Like, it's in this house somewhere. You can have the exact copy that I read when I was your age. That's a cool moment as a dad. I looked everywhere. I mean, I was in the attic going through cobwebs, going through, you know, you have those stacks of Rubbermaid containers and you got to go through every single one of them. I only found the middle book of the trilogy. Couldn't find book one, couldn't find book three. I was reminded of how bad the artwork was on that. It, it, was, it was amazing when I was a kid. I look at it now and it's a little embarrassing. Um, but, but I had it and it, it was there and I remembered loving it, but I couldn't give it to her because it would make no sense. If she started there, she wouldn't know the characters. She wouldn't know where they came from. She wouldn't know the story. She wouldn't know the purpose. She wouldn't know the why. She wouldn't know the goal. All of the action that happens in these books didn't happen in a vacuum, and you can't start in the middle. It's why in this place we spend so much time on context when we study the Scripture. It's why in this place we spend so much time cross-referencing ourselves in other parts of the Scripture because there is not one verse of this book, the living, breathing word of the living, breathing God, that exists in a vacuum. Every paragraph, every sentence, every word informs every other paragraph, every other sentence, every other word. This morning we find ourselves in the heart of a six-week series going through John's first letter, creatively titled First John. We are studying First John, immediately following months of walking through John's gospel, also creatively titled the Gospel of John. Um, we do those things because they dovetail so beautifully. Same author, obviously, written pretty close to one another. The Gospel of John would have been written first, his first letter written just a couple of years later. But because they're so close in proximity, much of the language is the same. The phrasing is the same. In his letter, he calls back to his Gospel. They go together so beautifully. They have different purposes, but their purposes are built upon one another. If you remember, in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, right there towards the end, John tells us exactly why he wrote that book. There's no way, John tells us, I could write down everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did. But God inspired me to specifically choose these things... And I wrote them down 
so you may know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That Jesus Christ is the chosen one. That Jesus Christ is the Savior that was sent. So that you may believe and have eternal life. I wrote this so that you can know that Jesus is the Messiah so that you might have eternal life. 1 John, right at the end, chapter 5, John does the same thing. He tells us exactly why he wrote the letter. This letter he was writing to churches in and around the city of Ephesus. And he says, I'm writing all of these things to you in this letter because you already believe so that you may know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. Because you see... When you lay your head on your pillow at night and you stare at the dark ceiling and you can't sleep because the thought is bouncing around your head and your soul, how do I know? Because the thought just can't get out of your brain. Is this my faith or is this my father's faith? Is any of this even real? John says you can know. Those of you that believe, you can have security. That blessed assurance that we sang about this morning. That's why I'm writing you this letter, John says. I'm writing you this letter so that you can know. Throughout the letter, John tells us, how do you know? Love. It seems so simple. It seems so cheesy. But over and over again, he says, this is how you know. So here in the heart of this series, we started at the end with the purpose. And we're working our way backward through the letter. And what what it amounts to here in the heart is a three-week sermon. A three-part sermon on love. Last week, Truett came and and taught us and led us, and he was in 1 John 4, verse 19. God's love, that's where it begins. We love because he loved us first. Every person you have ever met, made in his image. I do not care who you are. I do not care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you're going. You were knit together intentionally and uniquely by the creator of the universe. And he loves you perfectly and completely. All we have to do is accept and receive that love. If we're doing a three-part sermon... On love, it must begin with God's love. These next two weeks, this week and next week, we're actually going to be in 1 John chapter 3 in the exact same passage. We're going to read it this week. We're going to talk about one particular aspect of it. We're going to read it again next week. We're going to talk about another aspect of it. But it must all be founded on God's unconditional, perfect, complete Love. As you are turning in your scripture, 
or scrolling in your phone to 1 John chapter 3. I would love it if you would stand with me this morning as we read God's Word together. We're going to begin 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. God writes through the hand of John, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion for him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Verse 23. Now this is his command. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. Lord, we hold in our hands the living, breathing word of the living, breathing God. Do not ever let us take it for granted. We humbly ask that you speak now for your servants are listening. Amen. Walking through um, the first letter of John backwards, it was an intentional decision. Because of the way John structures his letter, going, going backwards allows us to start with the purpose and then each concept builds on the one just before. We did that intentionally specifically for this part right in the middle as we're walking through the concept of love. Because you see, we as humans have a tendency to... To approach love completely backwards, completely in reverse, especially when it comes to God's love in our life. Whether or not we say it out loud, whether or not we articulate it, whether or not we even understand it or would admit it, this is the way it often looks. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do things for everybody in my community. I'm just going to, I'm going to do stuff. And when I do stuff, that's going to show that I, that I love people. And if I can do enough stuff and enough people think I love them, God's going to look at that and he's going to think, man, that Hannah, he's, he's, he's going for it. He's punching the clock. Love that dude. Look at him go. The more we do, the more it shows people we love, the more we show people we love them, the more God loves us. That is exactly wrong. 
I do everything I can on Sunday mornings to not use sports analogies, but, but if you would grant me this one privilege this, this one morning. Um, I'm a huge soccer fan, specifically a National Soccer Club fan. Um, I had season tickets forever, go to all the games. Last year, my niece started coming to a lot of games with me. She knew nothing about soccer, but there was one dude on the team. It was her guy. She loved him. She never knew his name. She referred to him lovingly and exclusively as the try-hard guy. And when I say that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's the guy that he's just going for it. He never stops moving. Now, he may be moving in the wrong direction sometimes, but wherever he's going, he's going hard. And you just can't help but love him because invariably the try-hard guy, that's the guy that, that probably isn't naturally athletically blessed, might not be as skilled as everybody else. You know, he's, he's not 6'4 with, with kind of all the abs and, and superhuman speed. All he has to offer is effort, and he's going to offer all of it. So many of us in our approach to God's love, we become the try-hard guy. I know that there's nothing I can do to, to earn God's love. I know there's nothing I can do to repay God for his love. I'm not quite as good as everybody else, but man, I'm going to give it my all. And if I give it my all, God's going to sit in the stands and he's going to watch what I do and he's going to say, man, I can't help but love that dude. Look at how hard he's going. Look at how hard he's trying. Hear me say this this morning. In the kingdom economy, in the eternal economy, in the economy of God's love, his love is perfect, his love is complete, his love is unconditional, his love is free. There is nothing that you can do to make him love you any less. There is nothing you can do to make you love him anymore. There is no scoreboard or ranking that we move up and down based on our actions or our efforts. The economy of eternal perfect love is backwards. It starts with God's love. How do we know God loves us? John tells us, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, and several other places. We know because he sent his only son to bridge that eternal gap that we couldn't cross. We know that he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice so that we could commune with our creator for all of eternity beginning right now. So that we could be with him forever. There is no more perfect expression of love than that. In the economy of God's love, it begins with His love for us. Once we receive that through our faith in Jesus Christ, 
so filled to overflowing with this love, we are compelled to love, not the other way around. We don't compel God's love by our actions. Our, his love is pushed out of us, the dam breaks, and it flows into the community around us. As we are so filled to overflowing with his love, we can't help but love his creation. We know that every single person we've ever met is, is made in his image. You cannot hate God's image. You're filled with his love. You're compelled to love others. As you're compelled to love others, that love turns into action. Not in words and deeds. I mean, not in, not in, not in words but in action and in deeds. That's what it looks like. God loves, then we love, then love does. The love does part, spoiler alert, that's next week. This week I want to settle on the last verse that we read in this passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse tw- ver- uh, starting in verse 23. Now this is his command. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another as He commanded us. Now remember, John is writing this letter to people that already believe. This is his command. You believe. What you're telling me, John says, is you've got that part down. Check. Second, you love. Now it seems really weird to couch that in terms of a command, But it absolutely reflects what Jesus said to us over and over and over again. Remember, John writing this letter to the churches in and around Ephesus. These churches were experiencing a lot of false teaching, a lot of false doctrine. There were a lot of people in these churches that were teaching some pretty weird things about Jesus. He wasn't actually a man. He was really just a spiritual figure. You know, therefore, there wasn't actually a resurrection, because if you're not actually a man, you can't actually be killed. You know, it's more about what you feel. It was was a lot of doctrine that was close enough to the truth that it could be believed. But John is coming in and saying, I'm writing you these things, and you can trust what I'm saying, because I was there. I was with him. In the 22nd chapter of Matthew, in the 12th chapter of Mark, when the religious elite came to him and said, what's the greatest commandment? How do you sum up the entire law? And Jesus said, it's actually two. The Lord your God is one. Love him with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul. And the second one is love your neighbor. That's the command. Those two things, Jesus said, is a summary of it all. Everything can be summed up in that. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, we misuse that because it looks really good on a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. But that is actually what Jesus said. John was there. He saw him say it over and over again. John was there in that room, in the room, the upper room. Hours. Before Jesus was betrayed and arrested and executed. And in that room with his closest friends and followers, Jesus shared that final Passover meal, injecting the elements with new meaning. This bread, this is, this is my body that's broken for you. This third cup, the cup of redemption. 
this, this wine is my blood. My blood that's spilt for you in the perfect and final act of redemption. Jesus prayed over his followers that, that night. And then in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, in some of those final moments, things were about to get really ugly. And Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You were also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In his letter to the churches, John over and over again says, you want to know how you can know? You want to know that you do know? Keep his commands, and his commands are this. Believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and love each other. That's the command that he gave us. Do these things. Now, one of the ways we get that so confused, as we've talked about in this room so many times, is is that word love is almost devoid of meaning in the modern English language, especially in the South. We use it so often. I mean, it's... It's a salutation as people leave. It's just automatic. Bye, love you. We're not even thinking about what we're saying. We we use it to describe our relationship with stuff. We use it to describe our relationship with food. I I love a cheeseburger. And I do. I, I love it. When it's juicy. When the lettuce isn't wilted. When the condiments aren't cheap. When the meat-to-bun ratio isn't off. My love for cheeseburgers is conditional. I love a good steak. And when I say that, what I mean is the proper cut of meat that's not filled with gristle. You know, it's beautifully cooked, rare to medium rare. If someone puts a well-done steak that's dry and covered in A1 sauce. I'm not judging any of you that that's the way you eat your steak. At least I'm not judging you out loud. Um, But that's the point. When I say love, what I mean is I love this thing when it's exactly what I want it to be. And when it's not, I don't love it. That's not the thing I want. And because that is our relationship with the word love, so often, when we we listen to the commands of Jesus, believe and love, that's the love we think we're getting. Yeah, I can do that. I can absolutely do that. You know, I I love it when, when my neighbor mows my half of the lawn. Love that guy. Now, when he leaves his trash out in the middle of the street and never brings the stuff in, love is a little less. But that's not what John is talking about. That's not what Jesus is talking about. I mean, remember, he said, this is a new command that I'm giving you. I'm about to leave. I'm going to come back for a period of time, and then I'm for real gone. The command I'm giving you is love each other. And what does that love do? 
It shows the world that you are my followers. That type of love is a different love. It differentiates Christ's followers from everybody else. It's an unconditional love not dependent upon how your steak is cooked. If I were to ask you to define love, and I start the sentence, love is, fill in the blank. Most people in this room, if you grew up in church or you've ever been to a wedding in your life, you immediately follow that with love is patient, right? Love is kind. There you go. It doesn't boast. It doesn't envy. We could go on and on and on. 1 Corinthians 13. I mean, it's the love chapter. It's in every wedding in the world for a reason. Because it's a description of perfect, complete, godly, agape love. Did you know 1 Corinthians 13 has nothing to do with weddings? Paul is not writing about marriage. In fact, 1 Corinthians 12 is all about unity within the body of Christ. You are all very different, he says. You have different skills and different gifts and different thoughts and different ideas. Those differences can cause division. But it's the way that you love each other. It's the unity in the body. That's what the world sees. And when the world sees that, they say, I, I know love, but my love doesn't look like that love. I don't know that love. That's a different love. We use that word agape so often in, in the church because it's the original Greek. It's the word that John is writing in this, in this book. It's so hard to describe. My dad used to always describe it as, I love you anyway. I, I love you regardless of what you've done to me. I love, you, I love you regardless of what you haven't done. I love you regardless of the decisions you make. I love you regardless of your lifestyle. I love you regardless of whether or not you love me. Because my love for you is not conditional. Period. It's not conditional on anything. That is only love that is based on, founded on, an outpouring of God's perfect love in our life. Which is why we begin there. Here's the scary part. This whole thing starts with all these questions that pop up on the sermon bumper before I got up here. This whole thing starts with, with John's assertion at the end of this letter. Writing this so you that, you that believe can know. How do you know? Do you love? I'm just going to let that sit there for a second. Do you love? And here's even the hardest part as we begin this moment of kind of self-reflection and introspection. You're not the person that can really answer that. If I asked your neighbor, do they love, what would your neighbor say? If I asked your enemy, 
What would that person say? If I followed your social media accounts, how would I respond to that question? Mike Glenn loves to use a uh, tube of toothpaste as an illustration. You know, tube of toothpaste, almost always, maybe always, opaque. Are there clear tubes of toothpaste? I've never, Sarah says no. Um, I've never seen one. Opaque tube of toothpaste. How do you know what's inside? Well, the easy answer is you read what's on outside. If it says, you know, crest whitening, then you know what's inside. That's not actually true. If you read the label, you know what is supposed to be inside. How do you know what's inside a tube of toothpaste? What comes out when you squeeze it? It's the only way to know. There are many people around the world whose label says Christ follower. And they have been squeezed pretty intensely over these last couple of years. And what came out looked nothing like love. That's the question we must ask ourselves. Here in this place, here in this body, in this local expression of the body of Christ, we will love. We will love without strings attached. We will love not because we are obligated. We will love not because we're trying to pay back God's love for us. We will love not because we are trying to earn God's love for us. We will love not to prove ourselves. We will love not to elevate ourselves. We will love not out of our own efforts. We will love not because we want people to become a part of this body, although that would be amazing and all are welcome in this place. We will love not because we want people to come to know Jesus Christ, although that is our ultimate desire. We will love because we are so filled with God's love, we cannot help ourselves. We will love because we have no other option. When our neighbors are asked, does that church love you? They will not be able to deny it. Because we are so overwhelmed with God's perfect, complete, unconditional eternal love in our lives that it cannot be denied. This morning as Davina and the worship team come to lead us in one final song of praise and of worship. I want us to take just a few moments of prayer and of reflection.
Put your feet on the ground, not because it's a holy posture, but frankly because it's going to help your legs from falling asleep. Bow your head and close your eyes, not because that's the only way you can communicate with your Creator, but because it's going to help you avoid the distractions around you. Take a moment, deal with any barriers between you and God, anything that's keeping you from communing with Him right now. Allow him to remind, your, uh, remind you that he loves you perfectly and completely. It is not based on your actions or your efforts. Ask yourself, what is preventing you from receiving that love, from being so filled with that love that it overflows, you can't hold it back? Lord, this morning, we humbly ask that the love that pours out of this place, the love that pours out of this body, the love that pours out of our hearts points to you. May your love be undeniable in our community. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.